What you're about to listen to is the first of several interviews we'll be doing over the course of the Beach Cop Detectives. This one is with Tim Minear, a name you might know from American Horror Story currently. Prior to that, he's worked on a few shows people are aware of, like Firefly, his one-season Drive, The Inside, and numerous other projects. I was able to sit down with Tim and talk about his involvement in Terriers, where he was one of the producers, one of the people in the writer's room, and the person that Sean Ryan and Ted Griffin both described as sort of the, the third head of the beast as far as show running went. So sit back and enjoy this interview with Tim Minear, co-executive producer of Terriers. First of all, I want to say thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. Sure. I thought I'd open by asking, six years down the road, what are your thoughts on Terriers and how it fits into your body of work? Well, I love Terriers. It's probably the favorite thing I've done. It was a great experience, and I just think the show is, for me, perfect. From start to finish, perfect. Sean Ryan did describe the show running as you, him, and Ted to some extent. Can you tell me sort of what your responsibility was on Terriers and how you came there? Yeah, I ran it with Ted and Sean. I had known Sean from Angel. He worked for me on Angel, and I, I think I was the first guy to take him into an editing room. And then he went off and, uh, you know, changed the face of television, at least cable television, with The Shield. It was a pilot he had written called The Barn at the time. And it got picked up, and uh, it got made, and then it became The Shield. I first actually met Sean years and years before that at the TCAs, and he had approached me, and I think I was on Angel at that time, so this is probably around 99, 2000, and he approached me and he said, you don't know me, but we have the same manager, and I asked my manager, what should I be writing as a spec, and he gave me your X-Files spec, and it changed the way I thought about writing specs <laughs> so th- it was highly complimentary so anyway we were we were friends since then and i've been on this overall deal at 20th century fox since 2000 i think i have the second longest running overall at that studio for television howard gordon his deal's only a few years more extant than mine we call <laughs> ourselves the palace concubines <laughs> so i if i wasn't working on a show that was long term which is kind of funny coming from me since Practically nothing I've ever done has been long-term, except maybe American Horror at this point. But, you know, they can put me on a show. And I knew that Sean was developing something for cable, something that had a sense of humor. And I was itching to work in cable. I think, I don't think I'd really done any, I hadn't done any cable up to that point. I had only done things on network. And so I told him, "You, you should bring me in to run this thing. And Ted Griffin, of course, screenwriter extraordinaire, it was his show that he had created. And Sean, who was you know starting to form his empire at that point, really needed somebody to man the tiller on that ship because he couldn't do everything. And so since I was on this deal and since we knew each other and since you know I was probably ideal for this particular thing, he brought me over to meet Ted. And Ted had really no experience in television. He'd hung out in the shield writer's room a bit but you know he was a big hollywood screenwriter so we met and got along and i remember we had a um, dinner that ted threw sort of welcome the writing staff and after that dinner he pulled me aside and he said something that completely cemented our relationship he, he pulled me aside and he said look i know that i've never done this before i've never run a television show before and i need someone to teach me how to do that and so i just want you to know that i will be listening to you and i will be 
learning from you, and I really appreciate that. So that sort of humility really impressed me, and so it was from that day forward. I read an old interview that saw you talking about having Ted come in, and they were a little nervous he might be like this big Hollywood screenwriter who looked down on the TV guys, and you mentioned that story. What was you guys' relationship like throughout the running of the show? It was very good. I mean, yeah, I, I definitely was a little... Um, you know, maybe a little standoffish because of that. You know, I'd been in positions before where people who really hadn't worked in television would come in and they thought they knew better than everyone else and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, maybe sometimes they do. But in this instance, it was really, you know, I, I had done this kind of thing before. I had run a show called Wonderfalls with Brian Fuller and Todd Holland. And at that point, Brian really hadn't run a show by himself. He had created Dead Like Me and he had been on Star Trek for years. And we knew each other sort of socially. And he had contacted me when I was on Angel and asked for some Angel scripts because he was going to write an Angel spec. And instead of writing that spec, his agent suggested, why don't you write a pilot? And he wrote the pilot for Wonderfalls. And then when it came time to make that show, he sought me out because the studio really wanted somebody who had experience as a showrunner to come in and work with him. So I had been running other people's creations. I've come in in the past and tried to protect what it is they wanted to do. And also, you know, it, look, it's a trick to come in and be a creative partner with somebody and to not make them feel threatened that you're trying to push them out because that happens all the time. Sure. So I had already managed to do that successfully with Brian and with Ted, it was just no problem. Ted, you know, it was his vision. And actually I think he didn't have to prove himself to me. I absolutely had to prove myself to him, whether he would admit this or not, because we were, you know, we'd be in the room breaking stories with the staff. And at some point, Ted is a screenwriter you know, he writes movies and he didn't write as fast as some of the TV writers. Also, when you're starting a show, you're trying to figure out what the second episode is, which is very much more difficult than the pilot, right? How is this thing going to continue? So he was painstakingly working on the first couple of scripts. And then at some point, I think when we got to Ring-A-Ding-Ding... He was, I think, in San Diego. He was writing. He didn't have time to fully break that story or to really be a part of the writing of it. And so I took control of that episode and handed him the script, and he was very happy. So at, at that point, I think I had proven to him that I could do his thing, I could write in his voice, or that I could bring my own voice to the show in such a way that complemented what it was he was doing. So once that happened, I think it was a marriage that was bound for success. And it really was. And certainly by the time I got to episode, whatever it is, 9 or 10, Sins of the Past, the one that actually has my name on it, I, I wrote an outline and gave him the outline, and there was something in there that neither one of us was quite sure was going to work. But I knew that if it did, then I definitely had something. And if it didn't, the whole thing was probably going to collapse. And that thing was the moment where Reynolds steps into the lineup and the victim half-identifies him. Right. Ted thought it was a very ballsy move to literally tell the audience in the middle of the episode what the ending was. If I could do that without them ever noticing, then it would be a success. And in my outline, I think I probably stated the results as opposed to the beat, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Like, I was saying exactly what I wanted that to accomplish. Anyway, I don't even know why I jumped ahead to that except to say that the collaboration between Ted and me 
was so good that by the time we got to that episode, it it took me a lot longer to gain Joss Whedon's trust. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> I saw that you said you wrote Sins of the Past sort of quickly that you were over schedule and that it sort of got slotted in. I was curious if that was a story that we were definitely going to see in the first season or if there's a possibility if you guys had not been over schedule that we might not have gotten that reveal in season one. Uh, we might not have, although Ted kept saying, you know, we have to figure out why he got fired from the police force. Right. And so that definitely was in the water, telling a story like that. And the, the fear that I had, it's funny, I wrote a similar episode of Firefly that has multiple timeline flashbacks. And it was the same thing where it was like, Joss that year was saying, I want to do a story about another pirate ship that boards Serenity, but it's the Mirror Mirror episode. It's the other ship that are just like our guys, but they're bad. The episode was called Out of Gas. Out of Gas, yeah. And that seemed like an okay jumping off point to me, but it also seemed incredibly boring. <laughs> like they're just, it's like, okay, so that happens. But, you know, what's the story? Right. And it was the same thing here. It was like, you know, what's the big story of what happened to Hank in his past that got him fired off the force? Well, that only interested me tangentially. The thing that interested me more was Hank's judgment, his paranoia, and the root of his character of viewing himself as a knight in shining armor, but really being this agent of chaos. <laughs> like, that's what was really interesting to me. And then the fact that Brit was in a place in his life where he was going to make the bad choice too. And no matter how much anyone counsels or warns or advises someone else, you get pulled into the swirling drain of chaos no matter what. And so that that's what interested me. So the story of how he got fired, eh. That was okay, but, you know, sort of sexual jealousy is a lot more interesting. Right. Well, it's interesting you mentioned Reynolds. I think one of the reasons nobody was looking at the guy, you know, when they get identified is because you guys spent so much time building him up as sort of the background. He's the new partner, and that's his role. When did you guys know you were going to do that shift? In that episode. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that, that's the other thing. I went to Ted, and I said, look, I could set up early in the story some other cop or detective in the precinct who ends up being the rapist mm -hmm. but if i do that everyone's going to know he's the rapist because they've, <laughs> they've never seen him before yeah and the only card that was available for me to play was reynolds and so i said to ted i think it's got to be reynolds and he was very dubious as everyone was <laughs> you know first of all is he enough of a character for that to work and you know since we hadn't really been going toward this as an idea is it going to feel like it's out of the blue but on the other hand i felt like why not that's all I had. There was literally no other sure. suspect. It's one of those really memorable things in the series for me is that this thing comes out of nowhere and it makes complete sense. It fit in perfectly. I don't know if all the stars align, but but it definitely is one of those things that strikes me as memorable about the series. So I think it worked beautifully. Yeah. And the other fear, too, was that the actor who played Reynolds, you know, Ted had basically cast him because he, he got him good tables at Dantana's. <laughs> he was the maitre d' at Dantana's. And he was a I thought he was a very good actor, you know, a real character and that he acquitted himself you know very well but there was a fear that he wouldn't have the range to pull it off and i also know that he came to me at one point the actor did mm -hmm. 
And, you know, he was dubious about this, too. Like, well, what does this mean for my character? Well, at this point, I knew that the writing was on the wall, probably. Sure. And that the show probably wouldn't be coming back. So, you know, I sort of convinced him that this will make you stand out and be memorable in this season of television. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you're working with FX now on American Horror Story. And even at the time that Terriers was canceled, you and everyone else was very complimentary about the way that was handled. Can you talk a little about your experience with FX while you're working on Terriers? Oh, FX is great. I mean, John Landgraf is like, absolutely the guy that you want to take your project to he's smart he's respectful his notes are always good and uh you know he doesn't feel the need to urinate on anything fx is also genius when it comes to promotion except in one particular instance (laughs) well i I don't know what you could be thinking about yeah I've been steering away from the cancellation talk in general because I don't want to open old wounds, but your Twitter handle is at canceled again, so I feel like this is probably okay. Beyond the marketing or the issues with the title, do you have any thoughts on why Terriers didn't catch on more widely? Well, uh, it's hard to say. I mean, I can say what everyone else has said, which I think is true. I think it's a terrible title. Mm-hmm. I think that it's, um, I mean, I was confused by the title when I saw the pilot. Cause I'm like, okay, it's called terriers, but there's a bulldog. Like in the first scene, yeah. there's a dog and it's not a terrier. <laughs> yeah. So, so I found that confusing. It, do, it just doesn't tell you anything. Although I'm, you know, I've, I've worked on a lot of shows with bad titles. Firefly is a terrible title. <laughs> like it doesn't tell you anything. And certainly terriers sounds like a, you know, reality show about dog grooming. Mm-hmm. I always thought the show should be called small time dicks. <laughs> And that, and I pitched this to Ted, but nothing I pitched to Ted satisfied him. <laughs> I mean, we, the whole room was trying to come up with alternative titles. And the truth is, you know, either something is born with a title or you just really have to try to find something. Yeah. Um, but like, for instance, Drive is a great title. Yeah. That show only went like three episodes. So what are you going to do? But with Terriers, I wanted it to be called Small Time Dicks. And I thought the ad campaign could be like Hank and Britt with big cardboard signs standing at a um, California freeway on ramp with the cardboard signs that said, we'll detect for food. <laughs> like that, that would, that would give you sort of the Elmore Leonardy surfer detective thing that you would need. I mean, I'm looking at the poster. It's on my wall in front of my computer mm-hmm. with the giant dog in the foreground with the business card between its teeth and the guys way in the background and you can't even see them. Yeah. I mean, it's a cool poster, actually, if you know what the show is. Sure. Certainly doesn't tell you what it is. Yeah, it's a great season two poster. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, that's one of the reasons the podcast is called Beach Cop Detective, is, is that what that's what Ted threw out at uh, ATX Fest. Beach um, Cop Detective would have been good. Yeah. So I wanted to ask, speaking of Twitter, I mentioned your Twitter handle. You and Seth Mall, a couple months back, were joking about the uh, Chicago Terriers for NBC, and you joked you had that version ready to go. Just want to let you know, I will listen to that literally hours of you pitching that show. <laughs> You worked with Sean Ryan again right after this on Chicago Code, and I was curious, what was your experience like as compared to your experience on Terriers? Was it the same, or is it different? No, it was very different. It was very different. That was different because it was a big network show, for one thing, and so there was a lot writing on it, and I viewed it... Look, I I don't want to suggest that I did anything half-assed, because I don't think even Sean would say that. Right. Um, But whereas... I lost a lot of nights of sleep on Terriers Mm -hmm. and was completely committed to it. Here, this was more of a nine-to-five job in some ways. I would come in. There was a staff. I brought a couple people over from Terriers, but there was a staff that Sean had hired. Uh, And I would come in, and I would basically break a story 
during the day with the staff. I'd bring Sean in and then I would pitch him out the board with the cards and get him to sign off on it and, and then, you know, assign it out and have people start writing it. So, uh, yeah, it, it was just, it was different and it was more, it was, I guess you could say it was a little more impersonal. There were a lot of notes, a lot of rewrites, a lot of handsiness from the network that we didn't have so much on Terriers. What was the day-to-day on Terriers like for you, if, if there is a day-to-day? Well, the day-to-day was coming into the office with the writing staff and having a writer's room, breaking stories, trying to figure out you know, what the hell we were doing, and then me stepping outside the back door every five minutes and lighting up a cigarette. <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, sort of getting some of the other writers to smoke cigarettes. And, uh, and then at one point, and I think we mentioned this, in Austin, there was a day where <laughs> we, for maybe an hour, completely broke stories by doing faux Sondheim tunes. <laughs> like, it was so much fun. I mean, there were a lot of theater geeks, I guess, <laughs> on that staff. Uh, but, you know, Ted joined in and Ted's brother and just the whole staff. And we would pitch, it's hot and it's monotonous. This plot is too phlebotonous. I mean, we, we would do... <laughs> We would do. We would. Uh, we would just be, you know, pitching as as Sondheim songs. <laughs> it was super gay. <laughs> All right, I know you're busy, but if there were an opportunity for more terriers, whether it be comics or TV or film, do you think you could see yourself being involved? Uh, I would be so offended if I weren't. I mean, I let me just tell you how much terriers means to me, and and there's no way you can really completely understand this, but anyone who knows me will understand this. I went to Austin, Texas, to be on a panel for Terriers this year, I never leave my house. <laughs> because I would have never forgiven myself if there were some kind of homage to my beloved Terriers and I weren't on that stage because I belong on that stage. That's how I feel about this show. I wouldn't do it for any other show. I mean, I did go to Dallas once for Firefly. That's a whole other story. But... <laughs> but, but <laughs> But that that's I mean that that's how much it it means to me. It means it means a lot and it's not just the show but it's also Sean and and Ted and uh Ted and I have been trying to figure out something else to do together since the day we got canceled. <laughs> well, I'll be uh, first in line for that project whenever it does happen. Great. Thank you so much for taking the time to to talk with me. I really appreciate it and hopefully you'll get to enjoy Beach Cop Detectives with everybody else in the next couple weeks. Okay, great. Thanks. Thank you. Beach Cop Detectives is an independently run podcast co-produced by Randy Lander and Grant Davis from the TV Dudes and part of the Permanent Record Network. Music for this series includes the surf music tracks Happy and Whimsical by Paul Tayan. To hear more of his work, go to soundcloud.com slash Paul Tayan. Artwork for the show is by Nate Bliss. You can find him at n8bliss-art.tumblr.com. You can like us on Facebook at Beach Cop Detectives and on Twitter at Beach Cop Podcast. You can hear weekly TV commentary by Randy and Grant at thetvdudes.com. Thanks for listening.